Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Some Good Mavericks podcast, or welcome back. Thanks very much indeed for joining me. This is a short lockdown series called Cover Stories, in which guests dial in their stories about their favourite cover version of a song. It sounds on the surface as if it's all about music, but actually it's about something much more than that. It's about human connection and passion and love and the role that a song or a series of songs plays in our lives. I've been describing it as a sort of desert island discs about one single song, which happens to be a cover version. Uh, This series is supported by some notes on our somegoodideas.co.uk website, uh, where we are compiling a library of cover versions. And it's also got a playlist, which has all of the cover versions in the library and all of those that my guests have talked about on Spotify. So if you go to Spotify and search Some Good Ideas Library of Cover Versions, you'll find it very easily. Anyway, my first guest today is the renowned British film and TV director Nick Wickham, whose speciality is live performance. He began his career in music and fashion by shooting and directing shows and presentations for MTV Europe. And in the mid-90s, he moved to establish a boutique film production company called Splinter Films. He has made some concert films for some of the biggest names, if not the biggest names in music, including Madonna, Rihanna, Beyonce, Metallica, Foo Fighters, Cure, Chili Peppers. I mean, it goes on. He's been unbelievably successful in that area. He also does multi-camera directing for the National Theatre and the National Theatre Live, um, those films that they stream into cinemas, and has worked with people such as Gillian Anderson in that. Anyway, he's clearly a man who knows what he's talking about when it comes to music, and here he is talking about one of the greatest and most intriguing cover versions ever, really, all along the Watchtower. Hi, Charlie. Um, so, uh, cover versions. Um, it was funny, as soon as you, I, I read your, your message, it was, uh, a song came to my head immediately, and that was um, uh, All Along the Watchtower. Um, and in particular, the XTC cover version of it. Um, which takes me back to being, I guess, a teenager and and um, actually a particularly freezing cold winter um, and going out to to a New Year's party, which about five people could make it to because of the weather and um, and listen listening to that record a lot then. But I, I never really liked XTC actually, but that, that song Statue of Liberty was pretty good too. But but their cover of All on the Watchtower was. Absolutely extraordinary, and there's that unlike anything else they've they ever did. Um, and yeah, I don't know what, what it was about it that made it seem really kind of super kind of jump out for me. But it was it was um, it certainly did. And there's there's uh, and I actually I just listened to it again just to remind myself of why. And it still sounds really good um, because I think it's I mean it, it, the song itself is is uh, you know. And it's Bob Dylan, and it's it's um, uh, the words aren't just thrown together. It's 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 kind of really exploring a lot of a lot of stuff um, from the time when it was written. 
but the the way it's it's kind of recreated in the XTC version, um, yeah, I guess it kind of you know, resonated or whatever with with the times. It's very it's a very kind of fractured version of the song and and the this kind of extraordinary kind of juxtaposition of, of rhythms and sounds within within the song is um, very much the mood of the time. Of, uh, um, yeah, a lot of, of countervailing forces and stuff. It was, it was, um, yeah, it really kind of resonated a lot for for then, and it, it draws on lots of different types of music, um, which was also a big thing that was happening at the time. People really re-exploring stuff and 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 uh, putting new things together which hadn't been together before. did know the previous version of it at the time though, which was also a cover version. And that would mean Jimi Hendrix's version of it. Um, and that is obviously kind of totally brilliant as well. So, um, but it's funny, I mean, he, he, he uses guitar where the harmonica is used in the original and is in the XTC version. And it's, but it's a much more enthusiastic sense of it it's much more kind of positive in a way um for me when i listen to that it's it's a it's kind of quite so sort of joyful in a way whereas the original version isn't there's a lot more kind of so it's much more sinister um it's, it's as a kind of historic kind of arc as a piece of music but also how it's been kind of uh, each each of those versions reflects uh, an atmosphere so, so, so societal atmosphere at the time, um, they, they're all three are kind of equally strong and equally interesting in the way they describe um, people's kind of fears and hopes and whatever the general kind of you know, zeitgeist was at the time. Um, the original, original, I probably kind of came to it a bit later because I, was, I, I wasn't... So interested in, in Bob Dylan, I guess, as a youngster. Um, and I'd sort of dip into it a bit now and then today. And I'd quite kind of did it for me in that way. And I think that it's, it's 
but the kind of the the kind of the raw thing inside his his songwriting is is obviously really amazing and but for me personally those things are really kind of brought alive in the Hendrix version and then uh, the XTC version. Anyway, all three versions are amazing and I'm sure that other people have done covers of it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so there we go. A cover version of a cover version of a, of a, of a great bit of songwriting. Thanks very much indeed for that. Next up, we have James Sills. Uh, many of you will know James Sills through the Good Life Experience where he has been our principal choir facilitator for many years now. He's also the author of Do Sing, and he's also recently had international coverage for his lockdown series, The Sofa Singers. So James is a perfect person to ask about music, and this is his story about his wedding and what the song The Book of Love means to him. Hi Charlie, James here. Um, I'm recording this on my um, morning walk. So if you get any kind of background noises, mainly birds I think, then it's uh, real. Hasn't been piped in, just for effect. For those listeners who um, I haven't met before, my name's James, James Sills, and I'm a musician and a vocal leader. 
and I live in North East Wales, which is why I'm recording this. The song I'm going to be talking about is a song called The Book of Love, and the version, the cover version that I love so much is a version by Chaps Choir, which is a group run by my dear friend uh, Dominic Stitchbury. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the song, I guess, and um, why it, it really resonates with me. I mean, it's a love song, as the title suggests, but it's not a love song as you know it. It avoids the trappings of being kind of too saccharine or too overblown. There's some amazing turns of phrase in there with some brilliant kind of tongue-in-cheek moments, but it, it says everything that needs to be said about love in a very short amount of time. You know, some of the lines, you know, I love it when you read to me, you can read me anything. There's another line, I love it when you sing to me, you can sing me anything. And this is interspersed with some really quite dry moments of kind of humour as well. And I love the way that a song can be humorous and profound and beautiful all within three minutes. And for me, the, the lyrics are just really um, completely enhanced by the musical setting. Um, it starts so evocatively with, um, with piano and just humming. And it's really beautiful. There's no sense of rush in the way the song unfurls. And it just gradually builds and builds throughout the song, adding harmonies, adding drums, adding cello. makes it really powerful to me is that it's sung by a group of men in a really kind of natural way you know they're not singing in an affected way it's not kind of you know it's not music theatre it's not pop it's not opera it's just people singing in their in their normal voices and it has a, which really for me gives it a ring of truth there's a beautiful video of them singing it live in Union Chapel with, with Dom at the helm and again it's really really powerful and I suppose you know it kind of broadly connects me with, with my singing communities. You know, I, I run um, choirs and singing groups and it kind of connects me to that feeling of when you're in a room with other people and you're sharing your voices and you're sharing your energy. 
Um, but I suppose most of all it's powerful because it really resonates with me and when, you know, quite spontaneously, <laughs> my now wife and I decided to get married a few months ago, just before the arrival of our second child, we, we you know, we decided that it was just going to be us and, and our uh, daughter, who was uh, two at the time, you know, planning to have a big party at some point in the future. But when we were deciding the music for, um, you know, just a very short ceremony in the local registry office, the only song we could think of straight away um, was Book of Love and the version by Chaps Choir. So the song will always have a really special place in my heart and I think back to the, the weeks before the wedding and we'd just be singing it in our um, kitchen at home with our daughter and, you know, it just feels right. Sometimes you can overthink it. Maybe I've been overthinking it here, but you just know when it's right. You know when the song's right. You know when the person that you're with is right. Um, and so that's all rolled up in one for me. So thanks, Dom, and thanks, Chaps Choir, for that. It is truly um, magnificent, and it means so much to me. The original version I didn't come to until a lot later is by... And an American band called Magnetic Fields, and a lot, a lot of people love the original. Um, it doesn't do a huge amount for me musically, um, I'll be honest. But there's also a version by Peter Gabriel, accompanied by the New Blood Orchestra, uh, his string, kind of string orchestra, which is really beautiful. It kind of has that feel of, <clears throat> you know, some of the later Joni Mitchell songs she re-recorded with strings and, and a voice that has, you know, seen life. Um, but the ultimate version for me will be the, the Chaps Choir version. And the only moment the song really peaks is when you get to the third chorus, which I guess is kind of the emotional point, high point of the song, which is where they sing the line, I ought to um, buy you wedding rings. I think that's the line. You ought to buy me wedding rings. Basically that there's a marriage <clears throat> proposal, either real or, you know, theoretical. And something happens in the musical arrangement just before they throw in like a new chord in the piano. The voices are really at full pal and it's just that perfect marriage of words and musical arrangement <clears throat> and intention. And, uh, you know, the hairs are going up on the back of my neck when I think about it. So I encourage you to, to check it out. You don't obviously have to love it in the way that I love it because that's the beauty about songs and music. It's incredibly personal. But... I do love it. Thanks so much, James, for that lovely, eloquent and moving contribution. Today, I just want to talk about Elvis Costello and Robert Wyatt. 
and the song Shipbuilding. Robert Wyatt's version came out first, and so this is kind of not really a conventional story about a cover. The song was actually written by Elvis Costello and Clive Langer and was recorded first by Robert Wyatt and then quite soon after it was recorded by Elvis Costello and both versions are absolutely magical. It's been one of my favourite songs since it came out and it came out just after the Falklands War and it has this political bent to it that you very, very rarely find in pop music today. It marries absolute beauty with really strong political sentiments. It was written during the Falklands War of 1982 and Elvis Costello's words really talk about the irony of, of, the, of bringing back prosperity to some of Britain's traditional shipbuilding areas such as um, Merseyside and Clydeside to build warships to replace those ships that were being sunk in the war and then of course sending off the sons of those people who are building the ships to fight and probably or potentially lose their lives on those same ships. It's an amazing marriage of beauty and politics and it has the absolutely beautiful and incredibly relevant for the times that we're living in at the moment line. Within weeks they'll be reopening the shipyards notifying the next of kin is it worth it a new winter coat and shoes for the wife and a bicycle on the boy's birthday it's just a rumor that was spread around town by the women and children soon will be shipped The boy said, Dad, they're going to take me to task. But I'll be back by Christmas. It's just a rumour that was spread around town. Somebody said that someone got filled in for saying that people get killed. Now, as I say, it was first recorded by Robert Wyatt. For those of you who don't know Robert Wyatt, he's an English musician. He was born in the mid-1940s. And um, he was a founding member of the staggeringly influential band Soft Machine. He was their drummer and singer, but he um, became paraplegic having fallen out of a window in the early 1970s. So he had to abandon his work with the band um, and explore other instruments and begin a solo career in a wheelchair. He has the most astonishing voice, I think. And I have a feeling that his version, although written by Costello and coming out before Costello recorded his own version, is actually the better of the two. It's quite interesting to me that this song came out in the same year as A Town Called Malice, which was one of the greatest songs of the great jam. Um, it was a number one, went straight in at number one. And for those of you that don't know um, that song, I mean, it's equally 
political, I think. It, it's an astonishing song with very, very political lyrics. So soon after Robert Wyatt had recorded his version, Elvis Costello decided to record his own version. And they're both pretty true to each other. Interestingly enough, Costello's version features the trumpet by no less than Chet Baker, which is um, quite an accolade to how highly regarded Costello was at that stage in his career. I mean, he has always been highly regarded, but he started out life not that long before this as a sort of gobby, post-punk um, auteur who would go out of his way to annoy people when he possibly could. Who would have imagined that he'd become a national treasure and, and one of our most enduring songwriters? I suppose anyone who listened to this song probably would have done. But So Elvis is, is very similar to Robert Wyatt's, but I think, and I've listened to them several times just recently trying to figure this out, I think that Wyatt's and all of its fragility is probably the better of the two, but I'll leave you to decide that. Anyway, that's it for this part of my podcast series. I will be back with another one soon. Thank you very much to my friend Jim Friend for editing this. Thank you very much to you for listening to this. I will see you soon. I'm so grateful for your support. I hope you're well. Lots of love. See you. Bye-bye. It's just a rumour that was spread around town A telegram or a picture postcard Within we felt the reopening the shipyard And notified